Randy Bachman's Vinyl Tap, brought to you by You Discover Music Canada. Discover more about the world's greatest music. This is Randy Bachman, and you're listening to the Vinyl Tapcast. For a full list of songs played, visit randybachman.com slash vinyl tap and then hit the link. Put on your seatbelts and get ready for a ride in the rock and roll time machine. And we are going back to 1967, an incredible time in history, the summer of love, the summer of war protests, and the summer of great music. And we're going to celebrate that music with stories and glue it all together. And we hope you enjoy the ride. 1967, all this stuff was going on. I experienced this firsthand. Eric Clapton had quit the Yardbirds and started a new band with a couple of friends of his. Jack Bruce, who was a great jazz bass player, and Ginger Baker, who was a crazed maniac drummer. It's funny how these guys in the late 60s all had maniac drummers. The Who had Keith Moon, uh, Zeppelin had John Bonham, and this band called Cream had Ginger Baker. They were a trio. They were beginning of the rock and roll trios, eliminating a rhythm guitar. So you played rhythm guitar while you were singing, and then when the solo came, you played the solo, and there was a lot of great space for the lead guitar and the bass and the drums. Here we go, 1967, written by Pete Brown and the guys in the band Cream from the album Disraeli Gears, reached number five on the Billboard charts. Here's Cream with Sunshine of Your Love. Clapton, Jack Bruce on twin vocals there singing harmony, a great song, Sunshine of Your Love. Also in 1967, something great happened in a studio called Abbey Road. George Martin was in there. They had the idea, that they were now recording on four tracks, four track tape recorder. So basically on track one, you put maybe your bass and drums. Track two, you put your other guitars and the instruments, you can level them. Track three and four, you put your vocals and maybe your solos, because the solos don't happen when the vocals are going on, so you can adjust the volume there for your guitar solo or whatever the instrument is, and then pull it back down for the vocal, or vice versa. They found a way to take the four track and run it through the board again and add another four tracks and mix it to four track. And then they did that again, so they would have then 12 tracks. They kept doing that. You lose a little bit of quality, but you can add much more stuff. And out came this album that changed the world. Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, 1967. Most of the songs written by Lennon and McCartney. You know, the rest of the band was George Harrison and Ringo Starr. This was a revolutionary year in 67 with the power trios and the Beatles deciding not to tour anymore, which meant more time in the studio and more great music coming out of the Beatles. Here we go, 67, Sgt. Pepper. the Beatles with Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And in 1967, Burton Cummings had joined the Guess Who? We put out a song called His Girl, and amazingly enough, it made the British charts. We were in the top 50 in the UK charts. We could not believe it. The song was called His Girl. 
we got a call to go to England to tour and to be the new Beatles. We got on a plane like Eric idiots. Eric Clapton, Jack Bruce, no on contracts, twin vocals, in harmony, got some new clothes, a great like the song, Beatles, Sunshine and Love. England with this song under Also, 1967, something great happened in a studio called Abbey Road. George Martin was in there. You can see she's his girl. All of the guys I know envy him when they've seen his girl. That was the Guess Who, one of the first songs Burton Cummings recorded with us. We're going to play many in this section because he has just joined the band. That was called His Girl, written by a Toronto guy named Johnny Cowell. This song got us to England. It was incredible. The first day we were in England, we stayed in Soho. We heard a noise. It was in the afternoon. It was at the Marquee Club. There was no guard at the door. We went in. The Who were in there recording for German television, playing the songs over and over and over. Happy Jack and my generation and smashing all their stuff. We sat down and watched them play and then we had a little conversation with them. Us and the guests who sat down, Pete Townsend, John Entwistle, Keith Moon and Roger Daltrey and said, you guys have to stop using your name, The Who, because we are the guests who and we've got hits all over the radio. We had Shaken All Over in 1964, was our big hit. And they said, uh, well, there's the birds in the yard, birds. there could be The Who and The Guess Who. So why don't you guys just bugger off? Here's The Who with a song written by the great Pete Towns in 1967, Pictures of Lily. I used to wake up in the morning I used to feel so bad I got so sick of having sleepless nights I went and told my dad He said, son, now here's some little something that was the Who with pictures of Lily. We're taking a time machine ride through 1967. And what happened in Canada in 67? Well, Canada celebrated 100 years of Confederation and opened Expo, the World Exposition 1967 in Montreal. It was an incredible thing for Canada. And... Also, the Monterey Pop Festival happened in July of 67, and the Velvet Underground released their first album, and at Disneyland in Anaheim, Pirates of the Caribbean opened for the first time. So getting back to some music, the band Born on the Isle of Man, which is a little island off of England, who moved to Australia, had their first album. They were called the Bee Gees. 1967, written by Barry Gibb and Robin Gibb. They ended up being really good friends of mine on BTO. Here are the Bee Gees with their big hit, To Love Somebody. There's a light A certain kind of light That never shone on me That was the Bee Gees with To Love Somebody. There was a lot going on in 1967. The main places of the goings-on were San Francisco and New York City. San Francisco, they had a bee-in, it was called, a human bee-in, where people all went and protested the war. It was a peaceful protest, and then that happened again in New York City. So they had it at Golden Gate Park in San Francisco, and then in Central Park in New York City. All of the hippies who were preaching peace, love, and happiness and stop the war. It was an incredible time. 
Monterey happened that summer. Three days of peace, love, and music with music from all over the world. We're going to be celebrating a lot of that. Here's a band that came out of that time. A song is called On the Road Again by Canned Heat. Canned Heat is what they gave that little thing called Sterno Can that has a little, when you took off the lid and lit it, it had a little flame, and that's what army guys would cook on, and it was also the name of the band, Canned Heat. From the album Boogie with Canned Heat, here is being sung by Blind Owl Al Wilson, On the Road Again. Canned Heat with On the Road Again. You know, she's Randy's Vinyl Tap. We're celebrating the music of 1967. We've time-traveled back to that time. It was an incredible time for music. Everybody was coming out of their shell. Bands were starting. Bands were breaking up. New bands were getting together. Cream was together, and they were just putting out great song after great song. Here's one by Cream, 1967, written by Eric Clapton, Felix Papillardi, who was the bass player in Mountain, but he also produced Cream song peaked at 17 on the charts from the album Disraeli Gear. Here they go, cream with strange brew. Tell what's inside of you. Strange Brew Cream. Well, I mentioned earlier the Guess Who were in England. There's two great places to be in 1967. San Francisco, because of Monterey Pop Festival and everything that was going on, or London, England, and I happened to be luckily there with Burton Cummings, myself, Jim Cale and Gary Peterson. You might all know Terry David Mulligan. He was there with us. He's been a VJ and a DJ around for years. He was there with us on the trip for fun. And we went there to be the new Beatles, and of course we fell flat on our face because the Beatles were still going, and there's no such thing as the new Beatles. We found ourselves in England with no contract, no money, no gigs, nothing. We were pretty much homeless. We all checked into one hotel room. We took turns sleeping in two beds we pushed together. We decided to pool all our money together. We weren't making any money, but we'd take it some with us and get a hotel room maybe to last for a week or so, just so we could be there when all this was happening. With The Who, with The Stones, with The Beatles. Hendrix just started his experience. Cream had started. It was an amazing time to be there. We checked into this one hotel room. We were walking around Soho. I bumped into a guy. His name was Ralph Murphy. He said, you're from Canada. We had little Canadian pins on. We always put them on our, our lapels. He said, you're from Canada. I said, yeah. He said, I'm Ralph Murphy. I work here at Mills Music. What are you doing here? We told him why. He said, come on in and meet my boss, Tony Hiller. We went to meet Tony Hiller, who was an amazing guy. He had written United We Stand, Divided We Fall. And he had Elton John sing his first demo of that. And that was a big hit around the world many, many times. And when he found out what we were doing there, and we, were, we had no income, he had heard our record, His Girl, which we just played earlier, that was on the British charts. And he said, well, you're a good band. Would you, would you like to uh, do a recording session? I've got two writers. Their name are Jimmy Stewart and Jerry Langley. And they've written a couple of songs. If you'll record their songs, bring in two of your songs. I can't pay you for the session, but you can do two of your songs. 
wow. So we did two Langley and Stewart songs, and I looked at Bert and I said, oh, yeah, yeah, we've got songs, we've got songs. We didn't have any songs. We went in two days later. I had written a song on the piano called There's No Getting Away From You. And I said to Burton, let's record Neil Young's song, Flying on the Ground is Wrong. So we're going to give you now the song that Tony Hiller gave us to record, written by Stuart and Langley. We brought this back when we came home with our tails between our legs and $40,000, which in 1967 was probably like $2 million in today's currency. We were $40,000 in the hole. We came back and said, Wow, we recorded in England at Regent Sound, and here's our song. It was called This Time Long Ago, and we were, it was kind of like a Holly's Beatles song. Very proud of the song. It got us on the charts. Here's the Guess Who, 1967, This Time Long Ago. That was a guess who at this time long ago. Now I remember watching American Bandstand 1967. We watched it every Saturday morning at 11 o'clock on KFGO, which was the American station over the border in Fargo. It was Channel 12 in Winnipeg. But I always watch American Bandstand and maybe get to see, even though they were lip syncing, see the great bands that were on. We heard on the radio. We didn't know what anybody looked like. We'd see all the kids dancing to all this music and then maybe two or three bands on American Bandstand. Dick Clark liked this song so much, he played it twice back to back. The audience went crazy. It went to number one. It was written by Jim Morrison, Robbie Krieger, the guitar player, John Densmore, the drummer, and Ray Manzarek was the keyboard player. 1967, The Doors, with Light My Fire. You know that it would be untrue you know that I would be a liar If I was to say to you Girl, we couldn't get much higher Come away and light my fire Well, that was The Doors with Light My Fire. When we were in England, I mentioned what a great transitional and transformational time it was. The Animals had toured America. Chas Chandler was the bass player. They entered the tour in New York. He went into the village, New York's Greenwich Village, and saw this guy, Jimmy James Hendrix, playing guitar. He thought he was unusual, had something wonderful about him. He invited him back to England. He called him Jimmy Hendrix, J-I-M-I Hendrix. Auditioned to get a band, could not get a bass player. Ended up getting a guitar player who played bass, and his name was Noel Redding. And they got a great drummer who came from Georgie Fame's band. His name was Stu Mitchell. And he was a jazz drummer, and he went crazy doing like jazz drum solos, but he changed his name to Mitch Mitchell when he played with Hendrix. I remember Hendrix's first single coming out. We heard it in London. It was Hey Joe, back with Stone Free. And then out came the album, the Jimi Hendrix experience. We bought that album and took it back to Winnipeg. When we went back, we took back all these British records and took them to the radio stations and said, this is what's happening. And they said, we'll never play that in our lifetime on the radio. And believe me, nine months later, it was all over the radio. Jimi Hendrix changed the world. Not only was he a rock and roll trio, he did the blues. He did it like nobody else. He burned his guitar. He smashed his guitar. He did feedback. 
played upside down, played backwards, he did everything. Here is Hendrix, The Experience, 1967, Purple Haze. Jimi Hendrix with Purple Haze. Now going on to the Beatles, a new instrument called the Mellotron, which was a series of tape recorders, little cassettes, that you triggered with a key, like from a piano. So it was maybe, oh, I don't know, 24 keys, like three octaves, this little thing. And each key on this keyboard was a tape recorder, a cassette, which had on it cellos, it was three track, cellos, flutes, and I think a trumpet. So John Lennon got this and he loved the flute one. And so this became the beginning of Strawberry Fields Forever. And that was a wonderful thing to happen, the Beatles doing that song. And tragedy struck that summer. That's when Brian Epstein, their manager, was found dead in his hotel room with a locked door. So it was both tragic and a wonderful musical thing for the Beatles. Here's Strawberry Fields Forever, written by Lennon and McCartney, about a orphanage near John Lennon's home where all the kids would go and play on the playground. Strawberry Fields Forever. Let me take you down Cause I'm going to Strawberry Fields Nothing is real And nothing to get hung about Strawberry Fields Forever Living That was the Beatles, Strawberry Fields Forever. I'm Randy Bachman, and this is the Vinyl Tapcast. If you want to send us some mail, send it to Randy's Vinyl Tap, P.O. Box 2100, Sydney, B.C., Canada, Victor 8, Leonard 3, Susan 6. Email can go to mailbag at randysvinyltap.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're continuing our ride through 1967. What else happened in 1967? Well, the Doors played on Ed Sullivan, and Ed suggested to Jim Morrison to leave out the word, girl, we couldn't get much higher. And Jim said he would, but he didn't. Caused a big controversy. He said, girl, we couldn't get much higher. It was so stupid when you played on Ed Sullivan. He wanted Mick Jagger to not sing, let's spend the night together, and to change it to let's spend some time together. Of course, Jagger promised it and didn't do it. So you got great press. So that's what kind of happened with Ed Sullivan. Joan Baez and 39 other people were arrested for blocking the draft board in San Francisco, who was basically capturing young men when they turned 18. The next day they would come and get them. I remember I was with the guest who, when we would tour the United States, any place we played, Iowa, Texas, California, New York State, wherever we went, there was no young men our age between 18 and 35. They were gone. They were sent to the jungle to fight in Vietnam. Whether they wanted to or not, they were just taken. And if you ran away, you were a draft dodger. They hunted you down. That's what was going on. Hair opened on Broadway, partly written by a Canadian, Galt McDermott, famous for writing Hair. The song Hair, Aquarius, Let the Sunshine In, opened on Broadway, was a movie, sold millions of records. That's a celebration for Canadian. Here we go with another band honoring 
Johann Sebastian Bach. Gary Booker, Keith Reed, and Matthew Fisher take this song from Bach, air on a G-string, they take the music from it, they add their own lyrics. It becomes a classic around the world. It's in a movie every year, 1967. Listen to how cool this song is. The lyrics are great, they're psychedelic, but the music is from Bach, A Whiter Shade of Pale, Procol Harum. Shade of Pale, Procol Harum, and to take advantage of the Beatles dominating the world with their movies that were now out, Hard Day's Night and Help, and all the other videos they shot, Don Kirsten, New York, decides to form his own Beatles and call it The Monkees. He auditions guys, he gets Mickey Dolenz on drums, Michael Nesmith on guitar and vocals, Peter Tork, guitar and vocals, Davy Jones playing maracas and singing, and these guys played bass and guitar together. They created kind of a Beatles kind of sitcom that was funny, but they had great, great music. Here's The Monkees, written by the team of Carol King and Jerry Goffin from the Brill Building in New York City, A Pleasant Valley Sunday, The Monkees with Mickey Dolenz on vocals, Monkeys with Pleasant Valley Sunday. Going back to The Who, Pete Townsend is cranking out the hits. A song called I Can See for Miles, 1967, reached 72 on the Billboard charts from the album The Who Sell Out, and this is described as one of the heaviest songs that The Who have ever written. Here we go, I Can See for Miles and Miles and Miles, 1967. Gonna choke on it too, you're gonna lose that smile because of the wild. I could see for miles and miles I could see for miles and miles I could see for miles and miles and who I could see for miles and miles and miles and miles away Now we're going to continue with a couple of facts that are pretty important. When I said the Guess Who got invited to England and we went there in 1967, we got played on what was called Pirate Radio. The BBC had BBC One, Two, Three, and Four different stations, but they had a very strict rule of playing content. And in England, 50% of the music they played had to be of British origin which is really fair to your artists, or else you're gonna play hits from all over the world. You've gotta support your own bands. To combat this, these guys who were quite smart, who called themselves pirates, got an old barge, which they call the pirate ship. They went outside the British limit. You know, every, 
country that's got a shoreline, when you go two or three or 10 miles off the shoreline, you're now in what's called international waters, and the laws don't apply to that country that you're near. So they went outside the British limit. They were in the British Channel. They were called Pirate Radio, and they did not have to comply with the British rules of 50%. So they were playing music from all over the world. And if you wanted to get played on Pirate Radio, you had to pay them. So they basically played whatever they want, or you called them up and you bought commercial time. I want to play a commercial. The fee is one pound per second. So if the commercial you want to play is three minutes long or two and a half minutes long, do the math, take it times the amount of seconds. So if it's 180 seconds, you then pay us 180 pounds and we play your record. That was how pay for play started. So consequently, everybody started writing shorter songs and editing their songs. They would be under three minutes. That's why a lot of songs were 238. 245, you sang the song, you got it was done, you got it played, and then once it was played and people wanted it, they requested it, and BBC would then play it, but it was a way to get noticed and played on BBC. Also, BBC did its first color broadcast on television, BBC television. It happened to be Wimbledon, 1967. The problem with it was it was broadcast in color. No one could see it because nobody had a color TV set yet. It's kind of like when when Edison did his master's voice and did the first recording, he only could play it for his dog. And there's that famous picture of Nipper with his head tilted sideways listening to his master's voice calling him out. Anyway, that's what was going on then. The Beatles had out Sgt. Pepper, which changed the world. They were smart enough, Lennon and McCartney, to have songs by themselves and to write a song for their drummer, who most of the girls in the world and the drummers loved. They wrote this for Ringo Starr, who has a very limited vocal range, as do I, as do Bob Dylan, as does Neil Young. A lot of guys have a range they can really sing in. So they wrote this song specifically for Ringo Starr, with a little help from my friends. There was the Beatles, two minutes and 46 seconds with with a little help from my friends, under three minutes. They didn't need any help to get airplay. They didn't have to buy their time on pirate radio, but they were played all over the world. And they did do short songs. Uh, there's songs of the Beatles that are under two minutes long if you look at their albums. There I was with the Guess Who stuck in England, and we recorded this song as one of our songs we brought in. It was written by our buddy Neil Young from 1967. We first heard it when he came back to Winnipeg with an acetate of this band he had just started and joined, the Buffalo Springfield. Burton and I love this song. We recorded it in England, the first band to record a Neil Young song other than Buffalo Springfield. Flying on the ground is wrong. Oh 
Flying on the Ground is Wrong, The Guess Who, written by Neil Young. So we got back from England, The Guess Who, and we needed new management. We kind of broke up, and we got back together again because we were the best musicians we knew. We got back together, and luckily we got a gig, two gigs, to play in Fargo, North Dakota, and Winnipeg Arena, where we would be opening for Jefferson Airplane. Yes, 1967. We were a great, great jukebox band. We could play any song we heard on the radio and sound like the record. So we played dances all over Winnipeg. And when we would play a three-hour dance, we basically played what you heard on the radio. And we sounded like The Who, Hendrix, The Beatles, The Beach Boys. We would copy and sound exactly like that. We thought we were real hot stuff. We didn't know the power of writing our own material yet. I mean, our own hit material. Everybody writes songs, but to write hits. So we go there to Fargo. We're playing with the Jefferson Airplane. Gracie Slick is a beautiful lady singer, and the band is really great. And they're jamming on stage. And we open the show, and we think we really did great. They come out and open with... Somebody to Love and White Rabbit. The crowd goes insane, as they did in Winnipeg at the Winnipeg Arena. And Burton Cummings and I realized the power of Top 40 Radio and writing songs, not just to be on an album and get FM play, but to be on Top 40 Radio and get consistent play every three hours on AM radio. And we started writing seriously. To make a noise that night in Winnipeg, two days later, my father, Charlie Backman, was a member of the, the, the Legion in West Kelowna, and they had gotten a new flag. So he brought home this Union Jack, which was giant because it hung above the Legion Hall in, on Hartford Avenue there in, in, in Main Street in West Kelowna. So he had this big flag, and it was all torn, which was great because blown in the wind. The ends were all ragged. It was a real flag sewn. It wasn't like a printed flag. The stuff was sewn on it, the red and white and cross and everything, red, white, and blue. So I said to my dad, can I have this flag? He said, sure. So I cut a hole in it, put it over my head like a poncho and wore it on stage at the Winnipeg Arena when we opened for the Jefferson Airplane. I had no idea that this was November and it was Remembrance Day where everybody's celebrating the, the guys who basically sacrificed their lives in the war. So the headline in the paper the next day was Alderman's son desecrates Canadian flag and my picture was in the paper uh, wearing the, you can Google this and see it, I'm playing my black Stratocaster with a giant Canadian flag over my shoulders. That's what happened to us. Then out came the Jefferson Airplane and played this song and blew the crowd away, written by Grace Slick, sung by Grace Slick, 1967. One pill makes you larger, one pill makes you smaller, white rabbit. the airplane as they were called Jefferson Airplane White Rabbit You discover music Canada discover more about the world's greatest music Hi I'm Randy Bachman and it's time for another special Universal Music Capsule Uni Music is incredible for releasing these 
of milestones of recording. This week, it's the Revolver album, the Beatles album. Originally released in 1966 and has such great songs as Taxman, Eleanor Rigby, Good Day Sunshine, and one of my favorites, Tomorrow Never Knows. This new edition was produced and remastered by Giles Martin, George Martin's son who grew up with the Beatles and was in the studio every day when they were recording. And this features his ideas on how the album might have sounded now if the Beatles were able to use the now technology, which is quite different than back then, which was like recording in three tracks and four tracks and five tracks. Now it's quite different. So this new package includes stereo remixes, the original mono versions, demos, John Lennon singing a melancholy yellow submarine before Ringo got it, there's early versions and demos of Rain and Paperback Writer. It's quite an incredible thing, and it's set for release on October the 28th. It has 63 tracks on it. Here's one of the best ones, sung by George Harrison, Taxman. That was Taxman from George Harrison, a 2022 remix by Giles Martin. Pre-order yours today at, and shop, you can shop at shop.youdiscovermusic.ca. You Discover Music Canada. Discover more about the world's greatest music. Youdiscovermusic.ca. A couple of years ago, I got invited to LA to go to Robbie Krager's studio, and he was the guitar player in The Doors. And it was to do a song for the Prince documentary soundtrack. And it was a song I had written called Blame It on the Dream. So I was there in his studio recording. The studio was decorated with all the gold and platinum records from the doors. All their gear was there. It was still there in the studio like, like it was just yesterday. And I realized that Robbie Craiger wrote most of the doors hit songs on guitar. He wrote, you know, Light My Fire was one of the greatest songs of all time. People are strange. And obviously the lyrics were Jim Morrison, who was the poet, but most of them are written by Morrison and Krieger. Here at the Doors, 1967, People Are Strange. People are strange when you're a stranger. Faces look ugly when you're alone. Women seem wicked when you're unwanted. Streets are uneven when you're down. When you're strange, faces come out of the rain. When you're strange, no one remembers your name. People are strange out of LA, the rockin' doors. And out of LA, you got the Winnipegger, Neil Young, who's gone from Calvin High School in Winnipeg to Rock and Roll High School in Los Angeles with Stephen Stills. They start a band called Buffalo Springfield, 1967. This is written and sung by Neil Young. He's playing it on his orange Gretsch, Mr. Sewell. Neil Young doing the vocals there with Buffalo Springfield, Mr. Soul, with a slight tribute there on the guitar to 
satisfaction. Dun, 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 dun. Thanks to Neil and Keith Richard. That was Buffalo Springfield. We're taking a ride through 1967. The origins of classic rock that started kind of in the middle 60s and went till the late 70s till disco came in. But it is alive in every city and country in the world. Classic rock lives as a really great format because it was the second generation of guys like me who were growing up copying the originators of rock and roll. And the originators were Elvis, Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, Jerry Lee Lewis, that we then learned to play their music and made it our own. And now it's called classic rock. It was a wonderful time. We're going to continue with a guy named Van Morrison. He had this song. It was number one in Billboard magazine in 1967. It was called Brown Eyed Girl. I had gotten home from England with the Guess Who. We had our hit this time long ago on the radio that we just played earlier. And we got asked to be on this show called Upbeat, locally out of Cleveland. We got asked to do that show because our song was being played in Canada and in Detroit and in Windsor and Cleveland was just across the lake. So this television show was also watched in Canada. So Burton Cummings and I are there with a band. We're walking along. We're all set to do this time long ago. And we go by this dressing room and there's this little small guy in there. He's about five foot three or four and like a hundred pounds. And it's Van Morrison and he's in this room and he's leaning forward and his head is in his hands. And he's like really, really down. And we love this guy because of the song Brown Eyed Girl and Gloria and all the other hits he had. So we say, what's wrong? And he says, I'm broke, I have no money. I can't afford a sandwich. The airline lost my luggage. I have no clothes to wear, I have no guitar. I've got to go on TV in 10 minutes and fake Brown Eyed Girl. I had a deal at the time with Yamaha Guitars and I had a couple of spare guitars. I said, okay, Van, you can have this guitar of mine. And Burton Cummings literally gave Van Morrison the shirt off his back. He took the shirt off his back, gave Van Morrison a shirt to wear, and Van Morrison went on. We have a video of this, by the way, as well, because we were friends with the producer of the show. Van Morrison did this song wearing Burton Cummings' polka dot shirt, which is a white shirt with black spots on it, playing my Yamaha guitar. Here's Van Morrison, 1967, Brown Eyed Girl. Hey, where did we go? Days when the rains came Down in the hollow Playing a new game Laughing and running Brown-Eyed Girl Van Morrison Here's the Stones, 1967 Number three in Billboard's charts From the album Between the Buttons Mick Jagger went out and sang his head off And he sang Let's Spend the Night Together 1999, the song won a Grammy Hall of Fame award Here's the Stones, Let's Spend the Night Together, 1967. You've been listening to Randy's Vinyl Tap. It's too bad, but the ride is over. You can unbuckle your seatbelts, but we will be back next week. Same time, same station. We're produced by Todd Elvidge. I'm Randy Backman, your host, and the research was done by my son, Tal. We thank you for listening to the show and for being on the radio. We love doing it. It's a lot of fun. Keep the rock rolling. Think you do something green. Come on back to Randy's Vinyl Tap. Randy's Vinyl Tap.